can hold the hand of God. We can hold the hand of our Father. He's going to sustain us through it. It's a great truth for us as we get into this new year. And I thank God for that. Or in Matthew chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. Amen. We're going to dive into our study uh, from the Gospel of Matthew here. And I love the text that we're going to study, although I've never heard someone preach from this uh, particular passage of Scripture before, which makes me even more excited uh, to be able to preach a a passage perhaps not as familiar uh, to everyone who is here. So the context of this passage, here's what we know before we read our text, starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. Here's the context. God had appeared to Joseph to inform him uh, that his betrothed wife, Mary, was going to conceive a child by God placing the child within her womb. And this child that was to be born was going to be the Messiah, the Son of God, who he was supposed to name Jesus, which means Savior. All these things had taken place and everything came to pass exactly how God had told them and uh, Mary conceived a child, and they ended up having to travel to Bethlehem, which was uh, quite a distance, over 90 miles from their hometown of Nazareth. They traveled to Bethlehem, and that is where Jesus was born. While they were there in Bethlehem, they stayed for quite a while. The Bible told us, as we studied last week, that the wise men came from the Far East all the way to Bethlehem and visited them in that location after Jesus had been born. And uh, when the wise men had come, they had stopped through Jerusalem and had told the ruler of that region, whose name was Herod, that they were looking for the real king of the Jews. And he didn't like that very much. And so he devised a plan to try to have this child they were telling him about assassinated. The wise men got the better of Herod. They found out from God about Herod's plan. And so the Bible says they went a different route home and they didn't tell Herod where the child Jesus was at. And after all of this took place, uh, after these wise men had been warned from God not to tell Herod, um, God showed up in Joseph's life as well to tell him basically the same thing. And I want us to notice what happened starting in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 2. The Bible says, and when they were departed, that's the wise men it's speaking of there, when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. By the way, isn't it interesting the Bible never calls Jesus Joseph's son? He wasn't. Joseph was a stepdad, but Jesus was the son of God. I think that's significant. Always says the little child. little child and his mother. Verse 15 was there until the death of Herod in Egypt, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. The Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled, again, that's the second time we read that word in this passage, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted, because they are not. Uh, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. 
They arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled. There's the third time we see that word. Fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Joseph and Mary have been living in Bethlehem now for what most people assume was about a year, uh, a year's time. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple months, but most people think it was about a year's time. We know that was the case because by the time the wise men actually came and visited them, the Bible says they weren't in that stable anymore. They were living in a house by that point in time. They'd settled in to Bethlehem a little bit. More than likely, most people believe they had settled in Bethlehem to escape the stigma that they had been subjected to in their hometown. After all, Mary had conceived a child before they were officially married, um, and even today uh, that may uh, cause some stigma uh, even, in our, in, even in our culture today. And you can imagine the rumors and the things that people were saying about Joseph and Mary back in their hometown of Nazareth. And so many people believe they decided to stay in Bethlehem to get a fresh start, so to speak. And, uh, and so they were there in Bethlehem. And while they were there, Joseph and Mary, as we just read, they were subjected to a series of uncertainties in life that led them to have to learn how to trust God, the uncertainties of life. Now, this past Christmas, we bought our children a game. The game was life. How many of you have ever played life before? I haven't played it in a very long time. And in the game of life, you start out and you have to make a choice right at the beginning. You have to choose if you're going to go to college or if you're going to jump right into your career. All right? And it actually is, tells us a lot about American culture today, but I'll set that aside and not talk about it very much. But you have to st- decide what you're going to do. And then you're supposed to spin this dial and where you end up in life and whether or not you get to buy a house and what kind of job you have and and all of these types of things are completely dependent upon how you spin that dial. All the things that you go through and you go through your whole life, you can decide if you want to get married or not, decide if you want to have kids or not, and then you have to spin to find out if you're going to go through a midlife crisis or not, okay? (laughs) Then you get all the way to the end and your last decision you have to make, do you want to retire early or do you want to keep on working? Eventually you get to retirement and then it ends, Some of you, that's where it really began when you retired, okay? But the game ends there. I find it really interesting as we've been playing uh, that game this week, where you land, game of life, you don't get to decide. I think that relates a lot to what actual life is is like because playing that game reminds me just how uncertain this life can be. We are not in control. We don't know exactly where it is that we're going to land this year, past year. The things that you've had to go through, I'm certain when you began the year, you had no clue that those things were on the horizon for you. And if there's anything that we can know about life is that, is that we know there are many uncertainties that we have to face in life. As Americans, we face the uncertainty of what will become of our nation today. As a church, we face the uncertainty of how in the world are we going to finish this building? We don't have the answer. Trust in God. Perhaps in your life today, you face the uncertainty of Struggling marriage, rebellious child. Maybe the uncertainty you're facing today is a health trial. Nobody else knows about it, but you know about it. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what those test results are going to come back and tell you. Lots of uncertainties that we have to face in life. But let me tell you, when Joseph and Mary faced such uncertainties, they did. They chose to trust God. 
the face of every single one of them. Now, trusting God can be very hard, especially when you cannot see how things are going to work out in the future. In fact, you never can see how things are going to work out, and that's what makes trusting God so difficult. What is trust? The Old Testament word trust, in the New Testament, the word we often use for it is faith. And faith, this is how I like to define faith, faith is not being able to see how it's all going to work out. Believing the word of the one who can see, the one who can bring you through. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of the things you can't see. That's faith. It's trusting God to bring to pass what he said, even though you have no idea how he is going to do it. And a huge crowd was watching the famous tightrope walker Blondin cross the Niagara Falls on a tightrope in 1860. And he, went, he had gone back and forth across it several times, um, and uh, it was, the, 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 the span across it was, a thousand, was over 1,000 feet, and then he was 160 feet up above the water on the tightrope, if you can imagine such a thing. Why don't people do stuff like this today? Maybe we're smarter. I don't know. But anyways, here's Blondin. He was, he was, famous. He was famous for doing this, but not only did he walk across it, then he got a wheelbarrow, and he took the wheelbarrow across that tightrope as well. He had gone across several times, and there was a little boy that he kept seeing every time he'd come back to the other side. The little boy, just wide-eyed, he was staring in amazement. And as he looked at that little boy, when he came across with the wheelbarrow uh, uh, one of those times, he stopped and he looked at the boy, and he said to him, Do you believe that I could carry a person across this wheelbarrow? you believe I could do that? And he said, Yes, sir, I absolutely believe you can do it. He looked at the boy and he said, Well, get in, son. Get in. It's one thing to say you believe, right? Oh, I believe. That's how we are with God. Another thing, when God comes up to you and he says, hey, get in, son. We're going to go down this road. You don't know what's going to happen, but I do, and you can trust me. I want you to think about that as we study the life of um, uh, Joseph and Mary and, and see how they went through these uncertainties, trusting the Lord every step of the way. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You don't know what's happening tomorrow, but you do know who holds tomorrow, as Miss Susie just, just sang, and that's God, and you can trust Him. And so my question for you this morning is, as we begin this new year, will you make the choice to trust God in the face of the uncertainties that you most certainly will face? So as we think about this, why don't we bow our heads together and ask God to speak to our hearts as we open His Word. Father, we come before You. Thank You for the opportunity to be able to open Your Word in this new year. And I pray, God, You would bless our time in Your Word and speak to our hearts as only You can. Lord, I don't know all the uncertainties that uh, this, this group of people are facing. I may know about some of them, but I don't know about all of them. And even the ones I know about, I, I can't pretend to understand. I do know that you know the hearts of every person here, and you know what every person's going through, and you have the way forward for them. They trust you. And I pray that you'd work in our hearts and teach us to trust you more through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. We're going to look this morning at four of life's uncertainties you must choose to trust God through. Number one, if you're taking notes, note this down. You need to trust God through the detours of life. God through the detours 
of life. Now, as we begin in Matthew chapter number 2, let's read again what the Bible says starting in verse 13. The Bible says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. Joseph and Mary were presumably doing very well in Bethlehem before all of these circumstances came to pass. But all of a sudden, God showed up and spoke again to them and led them on what we could call a detour in their life. They weren't planning on going to Egypt. God showed up and says, hey, you're going. You need to go. Um, And he told him why they needed to go to Egypt as well. And the reason was because Herod was going to try to kill the child, Jesus. And so when faced with this divine detour, I love how we see Joseph and Mary responded. They obeyed without question. didn't ask questions. They just learned to obey without question. The indication of the text is that Joseph rose up from his dream and that very night packed up his family and began walking towards Egypt. Uh, that's what the Bible, that's what God had told him to do. The word arise literally means get up out of bed and go. That's exactly what I believe Joseph and Mary did. I think Joseph's faith is commendable, but I think Mary's is even more. Imagine being the mother of an infant child and your husband shaking you and waking you in the middle of the night and saying, hey, let's go to Egypt. Pick up everything we've ever had and just go. And it, it kind of carries the same type of significance of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. When God says, leave everything you've ever known and go, just start walking and I'll tell you where you're going when I want to. That's what happened for Abraham. And here, is, here it's happening for Jesus' family with Joseph and Mary. But the point is, Joseph and Mary didn't hesitate to let God reroute their lives. You see, once Jesus came into their lives, communion with God was a normal thing. I mean, all through this passage, we see Joseph talking with God continually. Uh, it's more God talking with Joseph. We don't hear Joseph say anything. But God speaks and Joseph responds and, and Mary responds. And once Jesus had entered into their lives, now their lives were not their own. All of a sudden, everything they did in life was contingent upon Jesus Christ and what Jesus wanted. By the way, that's a great way to live your life, right? To live it for Christ. Whatever Christ wants, that's what I want in my life. Now, many of you know I am a directionally challenged individual, okay? I get lost in Cortez, and that's saying something, okay? (laughs) One reason why I thank God for the convenience of the map app on my phone, okay? And I can type in an address there, and it tells me where I'm supposed to go. And here's the even better thing. When I miss the turn, which I always seem to do, okay? Even with the map app, it does something for me. It reroutes me, okay? Tells me to turn around if I've gotten that lost, okay? Or it'll just take me down another street to get me where I'm supposed to go, and it's fantastic. I love it, okay? And if you want to get where you're supposed to go, you're going to have to follow whenever your path gets rerouted. I want you to understand that sometimes God will reroute your life to keep you on course too. You You cannot pretend to understand where it is that God is taking you. And so when God reroutes your life, and He will, and many of you know this by experience, you need to trust Him. He knows where He's taking you. He knows exactly where He's taking you. Um, Oswald Smith, a famous preacher in America, Oswald Smith had a detour such as this take place in his life. As a young man, he had wanted to be a a missionary. 
That was his heart's greatest desire, and he'd prepared all throughout his childhood and teenage and young adult years to be able to be a missionary. But when he came and stood before a board, uh, a missions board that was to approve him to be able to go to the mission field, he came to that meeting expecting God to answer the prayer that he had always prayed for. He was suddenly disappointed when the board tur- turned him down. He said he wasn't a qualified candidate to be able to go to the mission field. He had their reasons. Well, he was so deje- dejected by that. And just that moment, when he was about to give up hope, the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart, and Oswald, Ch- uh, Oswald Smith made a decision. God won't let me be a missionary. I'm going to be a pastor who sends more missionaries to the mission field than anyone else. By God's grace, he became a pastor in Toronto, Canada, and did that very thing. In his day and time, there was not a church in, 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 on this continent that sent more people to the mission field than, uh, than, the, peop- than the People's Church in Toronto, Can- uh, Toronto, Canada. I look at that story and I think about the fact that oftentimes what we want, it seems like it's so good. Going to the mission field? I mean, why wouldn't God be for that? God said no, and instead of being defeated by that, He decided, okay, If God's rerouting what I thought I wanted in life, I'm going to trust Him. Friend, God may do that for you. You may thought a relationship was supposed to work out a certain way. You might might have thought a a job opportunity was supposed to work out in a certain way. Uh, Loss of loved ones, I could go on and on about this, but sometimes God decides to take your life a different route than the way that you thought it was supposed to go. Your best choice is to trust that God has a better way than your way ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But as for God, His way is perfect. Samuel 22 says, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all of those who trust in Him. And you will be wise and secure to learn when you face the unexpected detours of life to trust God in the midst of all of them. I want you to see this before we move on. Though Joseph and Mary had chosen to trust God as He detoured their lives, there were still uncertainties they had to face. One of those uncertainties was Egypt. Why would God send them to Egypt? Egypt was a pagan nation and uh, the the, uh, ancient enemy of Israel. Why Egypt of all places? Why would God send His Son to a place like Egypt? You know, God made that place a refuge for His people while they were there. And one person said, God can make the worst of places serve the best of purposes in your life. It'll trust Him. You may be in a bad place today. God can bring good out of it if you'll trust Him. Right? Another uh, uncertainty they had to face was how would they be provided for in the land of Egypt? They were foreigners there. Uh, how, how were they going to be taken care of? Well, it was no accident that right before this happened, there were some wise men who came from the east and gave them something. What did they give them? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Hey, they had plenty of money. I always think of, think of it uh, by the words that I heard someone say one time, wherever God guides, He provides. If God's rerouting your life, you may wonder, how am I going to make ends meet? But friend, if that's where God's taking you, God's going to take care of you while you're there. And you can be sure of that. Yes, there are uncertainties of life, but there's one overwhelming certainty above all the uncertainties of life, and that is our great God. As you enter this year, you can trust Him. Now, I find this to be beautiful through all this uncertainty that God, uh, that God brought into Joseph and Mary's life. God was orchestrating a beautiful fulfillment of His will. Look again at verse 15 with me, if you would. The Bible says that they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. 
which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. What Joseph and Mary couldn't see, midst of all the things that they were going through, was that God was working in that situation to fulfill his perfect will for their life. And God knew that the Messiah had to go down to Egypt in order for prophecy to be able to be fulfilled. The prophecy was written in Hosea chapter 11 and verse number 1. And in that that passage, God speaks of how He called Israel to be delivered out of Egypt. And this pointed to the fact that now that Jesus had come, God was going to call Jesus the Messiah out of Egypt to bring that same salvation that was pictured in the Old Testament, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. Boy, it was a beautiful fulfillment of one of God's promises, what was taking place here in the Scripture. And so this frustrating detour, Joseph and Mary, it turned out to be a beautiful fulfillment of God's perfect plan for their lives. Can I say, whatever detour God may lead you on or is leading you on right now, you can be sure of the fact that God's still fulfilling His purposes for your life. So don't despise the detours. A lot of times we're driving down the road and we hit a detour. It's a frustrating circumstance, right? Uh, But boy, uh, I I, I like to think about it this way. God always likes to take His people on the scenic route, okay? Trust Him when He takes you on a detour. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He, God, has made everything beautiful in His time. It may not look beautiful right now, but if you'll trust Him, bringing you somewhere, bringing you somewhere, and it will be beautiful in His time. Amen? Number one, trust God with, through the detours of life. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Trust God through the disasters of life. Through the disasters of life. Now, after Joseph and Mary had fled to Egypt with little Jesus, back in Jerusalem, everything came to pass exactly how God had warned Joseph it was going to happen. Let's read again verse 16. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. The Bible says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and on all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, we've already studied Herod a little bit, but I'll just remind you, Herod was a ruthless leader, who was especially ruthless to anybody he perceived to be a rival. He was so ruthless that Augustus Caesar, during that time period when he had heard that Herod had butchered all the babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, he had facetiously said to one of his advisors that it was safer to be Herod's swine than to be Herod's son. He had a special protections for pigs in those days of all things, okay? But it's safer to be Herod's swine than his son. That's an indictment on how ruthless this guy was. He'd kill his own sons if he felt like they were a threat to his throne. In fact, he did kill three of his own sons because he perceived them to be a threat. And so in a fit of rage and, and his zeal to protect his, his title to the throne, Herod ordered all the boys, two years old and under, and Bethlehem and all the surrounding region to be killed. How many babies was that? We can't know for sure, but we do know uh, from history, that Bethlehem is historically a very small town. So most people figure it's probably between 30, 20 and 30 kids, 20 and 30 baby boys. But one was too many, wasn't it? Can you imagine the devastation if all the, the, the boys in, in our town had been killed? Now, I've been waiting for, for, for the fifth child for, to have a boy, okay? Um, and uh, can you imagine the devastation that was going on in people's hearts during that time? And boy, Joseph and many other people in that time period 
They had to learn to trust God through the uncertainty of disaster. Oftentimes, we ask the question, if God was good, why would He allow evil to take place? If God was good, then why would He allow this to happen in my life? I like to ask those kinds of questions, especially when we're hurting. Let me tell you, God created men to be good. He also created men with free will to choose. I was reading the book of Genesis chapter 3 this morning. God gave man the ability to choose. And though he created them to be good and set them in an environment where it was easy to do so, man had a choice. And we know from the record of history that man chose to defy God, chose to sin. God knew man was going to do that. He was sovereign and understanding all these things. And yet that's what took place. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.29, Lo, this only have I found, that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many evil inventions. I tell you, the evil that is in this world did not come from God, came from sinful men like you and me. That's where it came from. Now, here's a beautiful thing in all of this. God can take the evil intentions and actions of men, work them together good. Joseph the one we're studying now, but the one in the Old Testament. He went down to Egypt too, didn't he? Boy, after all that took place, at the end of it, after he'd been sold into slavery, and after, after he'd been put in prison, he got raised up to the throne of Egypt and was able to save the world at that time. And at the end of all of that, he looked at his brothers and he said, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And boy, God can even take the terrible circumstances of life, the difficult circumstances of life, and work them out for a beautiful purpose. Friend, you've got to understand what the Scripture teaches about this, and you have got to trust God with the difficult circumstances that you're going through today. Let's be honest, some of you have just been through it this past year. You just thank God for a new year. I hope this year's better than the last one was. I've heard many people say that. I understand that with, with what some of you have had to go through. Friend, whatever circumstances took place in the past, you can trust God that He is going to work them out for a good purpose. That is what Joseph and Mary and many others had to do in the day and time that they were living in. And I think it's interesting. Think about the good. What good could possibly have been brought a bunch of babies being butchered in Bethlehem? I think I could say that ten times fast. What good could possibly come from that? Uh, well, as we study the Scripture... We find Herod thought that this action would eliminate his rival king. The, the wise men had said that the, uh, the scriptures had indicated that the Messiah was going to be born at this specific time, and so he had all the potential boy babies killed that could be the Messiah, and he thought he'd taken care of it. But so far from taking care of it, you understand through this tragedy, only living boy was in the world at that time that, that was still around, Jesus. What it pointed out was there was no one else could, who could lay title to the claim of the Messiah. Jesus was the only one who had been born at the appointed time who was still living. It only went to prove further that Jesus was the Messiah that the scriptures foretold him to be. So far from eliminating his rival king, he proved who the rival king really was. It's interesting to think about that fact right there. All of this, the Bible says, was a fulfillment of a prophecy. Now let's look down, if you would, with me at verse number 17. The Bible says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children would not be comforted, because they 
are not. This prophecy Jeremiah had written in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 15. A prophecy that Rachel, who had died in Bethlehem earlier in Israel's history, Rachel would weep for her children and not be able to be consoled. It's interesting, when Rachel died in Bethlehem, she had a child, and that's how she died, giving childbirth, during childbirth. And she named her son Benoni, a name which means son of my sorrows. Immediately after he was born, Jacob, her husband, renamed him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. Two names were given to that child when that child was born, and it was a prophecy about Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's also called by God the son of my right hand in Hebrews 1 and verse 3. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that we see portrayed in the scriptures here. And even in this brutal circumstance, we can see beauty that was brought out of it because in the midst of death, there was born the one who was going to bring the world life. That was Jesus Christ. For Bethlehem was considered a place of death. Now, it's a place of life. Most of us, when we think of Bethlehem today, don't think of it as a burial place. Rachel, what do we think of? It's a birthplace, Jesus Christ. See how God brings beauty, even the most difficult circumstances of life? Get it here, and He can do it in your life as well, if you just be willing to trust Him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. And who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so will you trust God with your disastrous situation? I dare say if you follow the example of Joseph and Mary, you'll be glad you did. And so trust God with the detours of life. Trust God with the disasters of life. Here's the third uncertainty you must learn to trust God with, and that is you must trust God through the delays of life. The delays of life. Now, when God appeared to Joseph and, and led him to move his family to Egypt, I want us to backtrack and look at a specific phrase. Go back to verse 13 with me, if you would. Verse 13, the Bible says in verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And read this next phrase out loud with me. And be thou there until I bring thee word. Be there until I bring thee the word. God simply told Joseph and Mary, stay there. Go to Egypt and stay there. Don't move until I tell you to. Verse 15 goes on to tell us that they were there until the death of Herod. How long was that? We don't know exactly. Some people think it could have been up to seven years uh, based on historical record, but most people land at uh, somewhere between six months and a year, they were in the land of Egypt. But regardless of how long the length of time was, one thing we can know with certainty is the fact that God didn't tell Joseph and Mary how long they'd be there. He just said, go there and stay there until you hear from me. Imagine such a thing. And in this sense, we see that God put them through a delay in life. They didn't want to go to Egypt. No doubt as they went to Egypt, what was going through their mind as they, as they waited there week after week, month after month, I'm sure they begin to wonder, has God forgotten about us? God said he's going to come back and tell us when we could get out of here. And they're Israelites. They don't want to live in a different country. They want to live in their country. That's where they wanted to be. And they must have wondered if God knew what he was doing. I mean, they had the Messiah. Couldn't God protect his own son? 
And I'm sure all these, all these questions came up in their minds while they were in this season of waiting. And surely, if they were like you and me, like me specifically, they would have thought about taking matters into their own hands. They would have thought, well, uh, if, I go, if I go to that city, I don't think Herod could find me out there, and I think we'll be safe there, and I think we can go back into Israel. And I, I'm sure that they thought about doing these types of things. The Bible says they didn't obey God. They stayed there during that season of delay. I tell you, at just the right time, God did appear to them again, told them it was time to go home. Look down at verse number 19 with me, if you would. Verse 19, the Bible says, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Now I'll just say, you study history, Herod the Great died in an incredibly brutal fashion. And I can't help but wonder, um, that was not by the hand of God. Of course, we know it was by the hand of God man who was very wicked and evil in the things that that he had done but boy god shows back up to joseph and to mary and tells them it's time for them to head back home now if i was if i was in joseph's position if i was god let me put it that way i'd think it'd be smarter just to give the whole plan right from the beginning you know god could have said hey go down to egypt and wait there for a year and then you'll be able to come back after herod's dead didn't do that did he he gave him a little light I need you to get up and go to Egypt and stay there. And I'll tell you when you need to do the next thing. Why does God not give us the whole picture? Why does God, say it this way, leave us in the dark sometimes? He gives us enough light to know what we're supposed to do right now. But he didn't give us the whole picture. I was a young man. I had a preacher tell tell me it this way. He said, if God showed you everything he was going to do in your life, scare you to death. Scare you to death. A lot of times God doesn't show us the whole picture because he needs us just to trust him to take the first step. Because we know what else is coming. We might not take the first step. God gives us enough to know what the first step is. And then when we, when we need to, he'll give, enough, give us enough light to know what the next step's supposed to be. How does he do it? He does it so that in every step that we take in life, we take that step by faith. Not by what we can see or what we can understand, but God gives us enough light to take the next step. We don't know how it'll work out, but he gives us enough light to take the next step so that every step we take in life is a step of trust in him, a step of faith in him. Friend, God may not show you how it's all going to work out. In fact, most of the time he doesn't, but he will give you enough to know what your next step is supposed to be. He asks you to trust him. And for some of you right now, the season of life that God has you in is a season of waiting. It's a delayed season of life. And sometimes God allows us to go through these seasons. When you're in a season of delay, lots of things happen. You want to move. I've seen that happen a lot. When I just feel like I'm stagnated. I just need to move and, and everything will change for me. You'll want to try to take matters into your own hands. You'll, you'll wonder, like Joseph and Mary no doubt did, that if, if God has forgotten you. But let me tell you, the best choice you can make during a season of waiting a delayed season just to wait on the Lord, just to wait on God's timing. What does it mean to wait on God? This is what G. Campbell Morgan said about it. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Powerful. What it looks like to wait on God. Here's the promise. Isaiah 40, 31. 
And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I tell you, it's a good thing to learn to wait on the Lord. Now, sometimes when you pray during a season of delay, sometimes when you pray, God will say no. Just give you an outright no. Sometimes when you pray, God will say yes. But I've learned in my life that sometimes what God's answer is, is not yet. Sometimes, and for me, that's often the hardest one of them to face. Because I want things right now. I want, I, I want to get moving. I, I want to see progress made. But sometimes for God in His sovereign reasons, says no, not yet. I'm not going to let you have that yet. No, I'm not going to let you go to that place yet can be difficult to learn to trust God during those seasons of waiting. Robert Schuller once put it so well, he said, God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God said not yet right now doesn't mean he won't say yes someday. Just keep trusting God until he shows you the way forward. That's the best prescription that any of us, uh, any of us. And so I'll remind you again of what the Lord told Joseph there in verse 13. He said, be there till I bring thee word. That word be there means be all in. Put yourself wholly there. Don't be there dreaming you're somewhere else. You be where I put you. Bloom where you're planted until I tell you it's time to move on. I think a lot of us, what we struggle with is God's put us in a season and we don't like it. We're wishing it away. We're squandering the opportunities for growth God has for you in the season that you're in right now. Trust God even during the uncertain seasons of delay that he allows you to go through in your life. And so we see, trust God through the detours, trust God through the disasters, through the delays. Here's the final thing I want you to see and we'll be done. Trust God through the doubts, the doubts of life. Now, going down to verse number 22, we find that after hearing from God, Joseph packed up his family and they began to head back to Israel. But along the way, he heard something that caused him to doubt what he should do. Verse 22 the Bible says, and when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. This thing's acting up on us here. Oh, there we go. Uh, he turned apart, uh, aside into the, the parts of Galilee. And so here we have Joseph. He, he, he's walking back, and I believe he was headed back to Bethlehem because that's where the house was um, before they headed to Egypt. And as he's going back to Bethlehem, he hears that Herod's son, Archelaus, is reigning in his place. Now, if you study history, Archelaus was just as wicked and brutal as his father was. And so when he heard Archelaus is there, he knew that was reason for concern for the life of Jesus. And so he began to wonder, what did God want him to do? Did he want to, uh, want to, want to march Jesus right back and put him under this, this threat of death? And so Joseph and Mary began to seek the Lord for his answer in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of the doubts that they had in their heart about what the right thing to do was. And as they sought the Lord, we know God answered them. The Bible says, and in, 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 there in verse number 22, uh, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And so God showed up again as Joseph and Mary were seeking the Lord and gave them some divine instruction and told them, no, don't go back to Bethlehem. I want you to go back to your hometown. I want you to go back to Nazareth. That was the place where they'd grown up. Honestly, I, the Bible doesn't say this, but this is my opinion. I don't think they wanted to go back to Nazareth. Right? 
There was all the scrutiny, all the scrutiny that was there. And besides that, Nazareth was not a popular place in Israel. Right? Nazareth was, was, was an obscure town in Israel that was looked down on by all the people in the nation of Israel. To be called a Nazarene was to be called a despicable person. It, referred to, it was a derogatory term that referred to a man from whom no, no good was expected and to whom no respect was to be paid. Oftentimes when people heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, you know, you know what the question was they asked? They said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? I mean, people just really looked down on the individuals who came from Nazareth, and we don't know exactly why, but it was just kind of, if you were a Nazarene, if you were somebody from Nazareth, then you were, you were the basis of society. So I'm sure that Joseph thought in the midst of, of all the things that, that they were going through, why would God want his son, the Messiah, to grow up in a place like Nazareth? Everybody's going to look down on him his whole life. Joseph knew that because he was from Nazareth. He knew what it was like. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why they didn't want to raise the Messiah in a city like Nazareth. And yet all of this was the fulfillment of Scripture. Look at the, look at the end of verse 23 again. <coughs> the Bible says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. I think it's interesting. Matthew here does not quote one prophet, but he, he refers to the general writings of all the prophets. That it was something was fulfilled that was written by the prophets that he was going to be called a Nazarene. If you study the Old Testament, you will not find one Old Testament prophecy that actually says Jesus was going to be called a Nazarene. Some people, some skeptics look at this and say, well, and the, the Bible just disproved itself right there. You know, the Bible doesn't, is, it isn't quoting a specific prophet. It is referring to something that was generally referred to by all the prophets here. That is that Jesus was going to be of humble origin. David had written in Psalm chapter 22 that Jesus, about Jesus that he would be a reproach of men and despised of the people. Isaiah had written that he is despised and rejected of men and we esteemed him not. Zechariah foretold that the Messiah would say, their souls also abhorred me. And so all throughout the Old Testament prophets, it was indicated that people were going to look down on the Messiah, that they were going to reject the Messiah, that, that he would be someone who would, uh, uh, there would, there would be nothing about him that would be desired by people. And as we see the fact that Jesus came from Nazareth, it really was a fulfillment of what all the prophets had foretold, that here's this Jesus, he's coming from this lowly city of Nazareth. And so in the midst of all of his doubts, Joseph trusted God to lead him. Boy, that's exactly what God did. And in the moment, I'm sure Joseph didn't understand what God was doing, why God was taking them to Nazareth, but he just chose to obey what God had told him to do. And I say you may have some doubts about where God is leading you today as well. All of us, when we face uncertainties of life, doubt is a common thing for us to go through. John Wesley told the story about someone who was going through a series of doubts and worries in his life. And as he was talking with the man about it, he noticed there was a cow, there was a stone wall, and the cow was looking over the wall. And asked the man, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just look, look through that wall? The man said, well, that's a dumb question. You can't see through the wall. Exactly. The cow, he lifts himself up and he looks over the wall so he can actually see over what's taking place said, so long as you focus on your circumstances, it's not going to make sense. As soon as you look to learn to look above your circumstances to Jesus, 
what you're going through become a whole lot more clear. For many of us, the reason why we're struggling so much with doubt is because we're trying to figure out this circumstance we're going through instead of looking to the one who ha already has it all figured out for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. Whatever uncertainties you have in your life that are bringing doubt into your heart, can I say you can trust God with them? Hope that you will. I've told you this morning, all of us are going to face uncertainties in life this year. Some of you already are facing them, and you've been facing them for a little while. You can try to handle it yourself. You can try to take care of it yourself, but I'll tell you, you will be distressed, discouraged, and defeated if you do try to take care of it yourself. Or like Joseph and Mary, you can choose today to trust God, the uncertainties of your life. Like, uh, uh, like that uh, gentleman said to that little boy, you trust me that I could carry a man across in this wheelbarrow? Well, get in, son. I believe as we start this year, that's what God wants to say to you. Get in. Get in. Say you trust me. You don't know what's going to happen. You trust I've got this. Get in. Go for a ride. Friend, you'll be safe. You'll be safe. Try to walk it yourself. Asking for disaster. I challenge you as we start this new year, you face the uncertainties of your life this year. Make the choice. Trust God in the face of all of them. Some of you, the doubt that you have been having about your eternal soul, you've been having doubts about when you die, where you're going to go. I tell you, the only way those doubts can be alleviated when you turn to Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and be your Savior. And if you are not sure about your salvation, if you are not sure about your eternal destination when you die, the best choice you will ever make in your life is to turn to faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sin. He was buried and he rose again and he has ascended in heaven today and the Bible says he is able to save anyone, anyone who calls on him for salvation. If you have doubt about that fact in your heart, I hope today that you'll make the decision to call out to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Are you facing detour in your life today? God has rerouted your life in a different direction than you thought he was going to. Facing a disaster. You've been, at, you've been pushed to a place where you wonder in your heart, if you're good, God, then why did you allow this to happen? Perhaps you're facing a delay. A season of waiting and you want out of it. Be facing some doubts in your heart. Say whatever uncertainty you're facing. Choice is very simple today. It's God. Get in, son. Trust him. Somebody would say, Pastor, I'm going through some uncertain circumstances in my life and God has spoken to my heart. I need to trust God today. Will you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift your hand as a testimony? Wonderful. Hands. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, I'm going through some uncertainties today and God has spoken to my heart. I need to trust Him. Very good. Very good. I'll pray for you. There'd be one here this morning that says, Pastor, I have doubts in my heart about my salvation. I don't know if I were to die today that I'd go to heaven. Well, that's, that's the doubts that I'm facing in my heart. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm uncertain about that. We pray for me about that. If that's you, would you lift your hand? I'm not sure I'm saved. I see those hands. Someone else who say, Pastor Bruce, I'm just not sure that I'm saved. Very good. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm not sure about that. I want to help you. Right? When others come forward during this invitation, you would be willing. He would love to show you from the Bible how you can be sure you're saved. And if you come during the, forward in the invitation, I'll meet you at the front as others come to pray. and Introduce you to someone who could take a Bible and show you how you can know Jesus as your personal Savior. If you're really serious about that and would like to know, we want to help you today. 
Well, you'll be thankful you did. I'm going to pray, and after we pray, we'll give you an opportunity to respond and come forward to an altar. Boy, make that choice to trust God in the midst of your uncertainty. We'll stand together as we pray. Father, we come before you and thank you for this opportunity to be able to open your word. And I do pray for those who've lifted a hand. I pray that you will minister to their heart in a very real way during this invitation. And Lord, increase their faith. Give them the ability by your grace to make a choice to trust you in the face of their uncertainty. And for the ones that lifted their hands, not sure they're saved, I pray today, today, Lord, that they would walk down an aisle and let someone take a Bible and show them how they can know Jesus as their Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, God's spoken to your heart. You're in a season of uncertainty. There is a certain God who can help you. Won't you step out and come? You lifted your hand. Now's the time for you to come lift your heart to the Lord. Bring your uncertainty to God and say, God, I trust you. You come. Come every soul by sin, oppress there's mercy with the Lord. The future is not clear. The one who holds the future is clear. You can keep carrying it yourself or you can choose to trust him. Won't you choose to trust him today? Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. For Jesus shed precious blood rich blessings to bestow plunge now into the crimson flood that washes as snow only trust him only trust him only trust him The Lord's speaking to people's hearts today. I hope you've allowed Him to speak to you. Won't we sing that chorus together? Only trust Him, only trust Him now. Let's sing it. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. <coughs> he will save you. He will save you now. Amen. Well, thank God for the, the clear truth of His Word. And uh, thank God for the example of people in Scripture who really, they went through things just like you and me have to go through in life. Uh, they faced uncertainties. A lot of times we look at these people in the Bible and think, well, they were superhuman people and I could never be like them. But more like them than you think. We go through day-to-day -day things just like they did. Boy, let's follow the example of Joseph and Mary in choosing to trust God.
encouraging to exercise faith as we face the uncertainties of this year. We're going to get ready to go eat. If you're in favor of that, say amen. Amen. I don't think that was hearty enough, okay? Uh, You can just stay standing for just a minute.